Sometimes you just got to put your hands together. You got to put your hands together when an analyst goes way out and predicts something unprecedented. And that's what Evan Silva did on this show. He talked about Leonard Fournette getting cut. A top five draft pick making just $4 million who had been a top 10 player at his position in fantasy football two out of the last three years. Whether a team's competitive or tanking, the idea that any NFL team would cut that player is unprecedented. You've never seen it. We've never seen anything like it. We've never seen a team so overtly try to lose. We've seen it for individual games. A few years back, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers benched all their starters in the second half of Week 17 to improve their draft position. And then last year, the Dolphins traded Minka Fitzpatrick and they traded Kenyon Drake, but we've never seen a punt so blatant and complete as what we're seeing in Jacksonville. Nate and I disagree on a lot of things, but we agree that that was highly unlikely. But that is also why we invite a range of guests onto this show. And Evan Silva nailed it. And Evan won the debate. And thank God we had Evan on the show. And the result that he predicted has come true. And many of you on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather, Oh, phew. Thank God you had Evan on. As a voice of reason, I avoided Leonard Fournette. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> right? They say process over results. That's not true. That's not true. Results over process. What really matter are the results. That's what matters. Because the main thrust of the argument against Leonard Fournette was the situation was untenable. You can't score fantasy points on a team that's tanking. It doesn't want you there. The problem is that player has to be there in that situation for that criticism to ring true. Now Leonard Fournette has been released out into the wild and he can sign anywhere. And wherever he signs will be an improvement because there's a laundry list of issues with this Jacksonville running game. Oh, the offensive line. No good. No good. Las Vegas has the Jaguars pegged as a four to five win team. Leonard Fournette can't score any touchdowns. If the Jaguars can't win any games, because you need to score points to win games, and have traded away every veteran playmaker they had on defense, not good. Not good. That means negative game script for Leonard Fournette. Yeah, not good. Not, not good. Not good. This is a situation you want to run away from in fantasy football. And thankfully, Leonard Fournette has been extracted from that situation. <laughs> Evan Silva's prediction that the unprecedented in the NFL would happen that a player of Leonard Fournette's resume and prestige would be cut outright in training camp. That happened. And if nothing else, that prediction necessarily launches Evan Silva into the pantheon of the greatest fantasy analysts ever. He was already there, but just in case you didn't have him in there, now you do. But his case against Leonard Fournette was largely based on the situation, not the probability of him being cut or traded. I wanted Leonard Fournette traded. 
Remember? Have Leonard Fournette play the first six weeks against one of the softest run game schedules in the league and then get traded to a better situation and be this year's Kenyon Drake. That was in Leonard Fournette's range of outcomes. Now he's in a place that has no precedent. So we're going to find out together what happens with Leonard Fournette and whether or not his ceiling is elevated because he will necessarily land on a team that delivers at the very least more touchdown upside. We will find out together. Dun, dun, dun. And it's interesting. The, the case for Leonard Fournette as a value, and last week's show we talked, about, we talked about Leonard Fournette being a value in the fourth round. That is true. And now that significant uncertainty has been injected into the equation, we no longer have Leonard Fournette as a value in the fourth round. Go to our cheat sheet, fantasy-draftkit.com, and there you can see where we have Leonard Fournette slotted in now because he still has incredible upside. That's been the case for drafting Leonard Fournette all along. The running backs we tout on this show have to have a league-winning quality to them where you could see a path where Leonard Fournette smashes in the first six weeks, gets traded, and then goes nuclear in some place in the equivalent of the Arizona Cardinals this year. Totally possible. And you look at the running backs outside the second round, it starts with Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers. It's not a long list of running backs that you're pursuing in rounds three, four, five. But they all have two things in common. They're explosive with all-purpose skill sets. Leonard Fournette has the tools, the skill set, to be a fantasy football league winner. He absolutely does. Le'Veon Bell does not. James Conner does not. Chris Carson does not. Devin Singletary does not. Those players have either operated as one-dimensional grinders their entire career, or they lack the explosive athleticism to deliver splash plays throughout the season. And this is why Evan is such a unique creature in this space, in that his process was sound. Like, he agreed Leonard Fournette is a good player, that he is explosive, that he is a slick receiver, and he has a wide receiver background. But the situational forces were destined to suppress his fantasy value this season, and that was where we disagreed. He was a pessimist, I was an optimist, and based on Leonard Fournette's recent movement on our cheat sheet, put the check mark on Evan Silva's side of the ledger. Evan Silva gets the win. Evan Silva wins the day for all the right reasons. But you will notice that the one guy, the one guy that called his shot, that called the most improbable shot, that Leonard Fournette would get cut, and that uncertainty is the reason why you can't draft him. Note that that guy is not the guy taking victory laps on social media, pointing at those that believed Leonard Fournette to be a value in the fourth round, pointing at them and saying, told you so. Evan Silva was noticeably quiet on social media yesterday, but those that have been calling Leonard Fournette Fat Lenny and Uncle Lenny and claiming he's a bad running back, that he's not talented, those analysts that are supremely confident in their ability to watch football games and determine which players are good and which players are bad based on what they're watching, based on a player's performance behind the worst offensive line in the sport the last three years, going against one stack box after another, those analysts watching Leonard Fournette get stuffed and believing that the act of getting stuffed makes Leonard Fournette a bad football player, that he's just bad. 
those that were avoiding Leonard Fournette were not avoiding him for the reasons that Evan Silva laid out on the show. Those that are posting celebratory gifs on social media, they got the result, though the process was bad. Claiming that Leonard Fournette is a donkey, and if you're drafting Leonard Fournette, you're a donkey. And that's simply not true. The case to draft Leonard Fournette was very simple, that a running back that commands a top two opportunity share with a 96 percentile speed score has great upside in fantasy football where you need explosive running backs that can deliver in the passing game. It was a very simple one plus one equals two equation. And if you follow that process time and time and time and time again, you will be more often right than you are wrong. Those fading explosive players with excellent receiving skills are the true donkeys. It's just that this time they got the result that confirmed their nonsense position that Leonard Fournette stinks. Every fantasy analyst should take his cues from Evan Silva. Because I was DMing with him. He said, listen, now is not the time to take a victory lap on Leonard Fournette. He was just rescued from the main reason why you weren't drafting him. He could land anywhere. Last thing I'm going to do is go to social media and claim victory before the season even starts. How quickly people forget Kenyon Drake. It was just a year ago that Kenyon Drake happened. And it took him half the year to land in Arizona. Leonard Fournette could land in a plum situation before week one. What are you doing? This is the ultimate ripcord that a Leonard Fournette enthusiast should want to pull to get him the hell out of Jacksonville. It's not like I ever said Jacksonville was a great place to be a running back. And for Leonard Fournette to get traded midseason would have been best case scenario. Just happened to get cut before the season. And I talked to my good friend Nate List. And yes, we are genuinely friends in real life. And I explained, I'm happy to be the face of Leonard Fournette trutherism. If I'm the only one standing for a guy, an age 25 running back with a 96 percentile speed score coming off a 100 target season. <laughs> That's like you made a sports take in a lab. That's like the ultimate gift from the fantasy gods. Like, thank you. I'll take it. Just put that in my pocket. And Nate's lament was that it was impossible to see this coming, that it was absurd for the Jacksonville Jaguars to release him. And I agree, it was completely illogical. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, why would you release him? You only have to pay him $4 million. So let him play. And not only let him play, feed him. Let him be productive against a soft schedule. And then, and then when a team loses a bell cow back for the rest of the season, because one of these top backs will go down. Could be Derrick Henry. It could be Saquon Barkley. Imagine Dave Gettleman loses Saquon Barkley and all he has left is Deion Lewis. And you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. You call him up and say, hey, can I get a fourth rounder for Leonard Fournette? Done. Of course, no one's going to give you a draft pick for Leonard Fournette at the end of training camp. You have to forfeit a draft pick and pay Leonard Fournette and then try to get him acclimated at the last minute. No one wants to do that. But if you just waited and kept him on the team for a couple more weeks, if the Jaguars had just kept him on the team for a couple more weeks, they would have had leverage in trade negotiations. So cutting him now was completely illogical and why rational people continue to find it so befuddling. Like, it was flatly a stupid thing to do, but you can never assume rational management, just like you can never assume rational coaching. They just love their running back room so much, they just had to cut Leonard Fournette. Like, what? They're supposedly following the Dolphins model, which is you hold on to Kenyon Drake to midseason and wait for David Johnson and Chase Edmonds to get hurt, then you trade Kenyon Drake to Arizona. In a logical world, that's what they would have done. And those with a supreme confidence in their ability to watch tape on Sunday and measure a player's talent 
read the news and said, aha, I was right. He does suck. Look, the Jaguars are confirming what I believe to be true. Leonard Fournette is big, fat, slow, and lazy. It's that misplaced confidence in a fantasy analyst's ability to measure talent that fuels the absurd told-you-so posts on social media before the season even started. I am the king of victory laps. I love to told-you-so. But we don't have any dance parties on this show in the off-season. It's the off-season. We don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea where Leonard Fournette's going to land. You have no idea what Leonard Fournette's going to do in the NFL. You have no idea how many fantasy points Leonard Fournette's going to score this year. Nobody has any idea. How could you possibly have a dance party to celebrate your assessment that Leonard Fournette is fat and slow and bad at football before the season even starts? Just weird, man. It's just weird. It's weird because I'm totally here for it. I want to do it. I mean, I have my finger on the Let's Jump Techno Dance Party song. You know it. I'm so itching to push that button. But nothing's happened yet. How can you celebrate before anything happens? It is truly bizarre. And at some point in the season, when we've logged enough games and the results are in, yes, buzzards, yes, yes, it is absolutely possible that the Podfather takes the L. Because that's what I'm hearing. Just take the L, Podfather. Take the L. Take the L. Take the L? The games haven't happened yet. Why would I take the L? Imagine if you were a Kenyon Drake stand last year and you took the L after week six. You'd feel pretty dumb. Not taking the L. And the analyst calling Leonard Fournette a fat, slow donkey should not be celebrating either. Now, we don't like to... Now, we know it's uncouth to say, told you so, and take a victory lap. But in this particular case, I mean, we really were right about Leonard Fournette, weren't we? If you didn't draft Leonard Fournette, congratulations. You're not a donkey. Right? I'm like, yeah, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It's week 11, and most people know whether their team's on a trajectory to make the playoffs or not. I mean, we have a good sense of whether Leonard Fournette was a bust or not. So that, that information's in, right? It's, now's the time. No. No, week one hasn't started yet. No, okay. 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 I see this on both ends of the spectrum. It's the declaring victory that Leonard Fournette is a bust on one side, and it's declaring victory that Ronald Jones is a breakout league winner on the other side. Because that's what I'm hearing on this other side. You know the 0RB cult members slotting in Ronald Jones into their RB1 slot? With Devin Singletary and Philip Lindsay and Kerryon Johnson, the big four Rotoviz running backs, right? <laughs> Just sitting back in their chair, smirking. Look how great Ronald Jones is. Have you read the training camp reports? We were so right about him. God, look, his, his ADP's up a full round. Wow, we were so right. Those that faded Ronald Jones are idiots. Can you imagine not loving Ronald Jones? Can you imagine? Imagine not loving Ronald Jones. Imagine not drafting Ronald Jones in round five and six in every draft. Imagine. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. Imagine. <laughs> it's August. It's August. And the supremely confident fantasy analysts that haven't won a goddamn thing are already celebrating Ronald Jones' breakout. I would implore you 
to go to Evan Silva's timeline and find me the celebratory tweet where he declares victory before the season starts. Could you please show this to me? I want to see it. I follow him closely, and I am not aware of Evan Silva running around naked in front of his house calling other fantasy analysts donkeys. It's not what he does. That's not him. So my advice to all analysts, take your cues from Evan Silva and keep it simple, but not too simple. Even some of the most productive players need to be taken in context. And for every player, you need to understand the team dynamics that they will be experiencing this season, especially running backs. That's why we spend so much time on our team insights. The team insights on the world-famous, in quotes, draft kit, fantasy-draftkit.com, lays out the direction each team is moving. And then from there, you can figure out how the players on those teams can either thrive or fail, create a range of outcomes, fantasy-draftkit.com. And the two players with the widest range of outcomes are Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. I I agree that Ronald Jones is intriguing, and Ronald Jones has incredible upside. And when you look at the team dynamics, as soon as Keyshawn Vaughn was put on the COVID list and Ronald Jones was named the primary back, he moved up the cheat sheet weeks ago. And as the positive reports continue to surface, that Ronald Jones has both increased his muscle mass and retained his speed, we've continued to incrementally elevate Ronald Jones. So we've been right in line with consensus on Ronald Jones ever since the start of camp when Keyshawn Vaughn was put on the COVID list. We're as high on a player that has never exceeded 10 fantasy points a game in his entire career, has never exceeded a 37% snap share in his entire career, and when you zoom out and go all the way back to his time at USC, has never commanded a significant target share. You need to be on the field delivering explosive runs with a healthy target share to deliver RB1 upside in fantasy football because running back target shares have been increasing year over year as wide receiver target shares have been declining. The bar is constantly being raised on running backs as the bar is being lowered for wide receivers. And that's the primary reason why robust RB is superior to zero RB. But it is in Ronald Jones' range of outcomes that he has pumped himself up and remade his body to a place where he can operate as a Nick Chubb-level explosive between-the-tackles runner in Tampa. I believe that's in his range of outcomes. That's why he's as high as he is on the draft kit, cheat sheet. Or he could be what he was last year. That's his range of outcomes, right? If a handful of running backs that can be RB1s without commanding a significant target share, and these running backs are the signature size speed specimens in the league. It's Derrick Henry with a 90-plus percentile speed score. It's Nick Chubb with a 90-plus percentile speed score. And it's Jonathan Taylor. Those are the three guys we feel comfortable drafting in the first three rounds at their ADPs in spite of underwhelming target shares. Now, it's possible that Ronald Jones adds this muscle and does it in a way that he can maintain his speed. We saw this last year with Darren Waller. Darren Waller was one of the fastest tight ends in the league, even after gaining 20 pounds. So I would not be surprised if Ronald Jones goes out in week one and looks like a Nick Chubb level between the tackles runner. I want to see it. And Ronald Jones ADP, even right now where he's going in the early fifth round, isn't egregious because on Tampa that brought in Tom Brady at quarterback and invested in the offensive line in the draft, the team's offensive efficiency is going to surge this year. 
And you want the primary back who's riding that wave of surging offensive efficiency. Whoever it is, this year it happens to be Ronald Jones. The problem is I don't have any Ronald Jones on my fantasy teams because I'm either drafting Cam Akers or wide receivers at his ADP. I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. And at his ADP, structurally, it doesn't make sense to post up Ronald Jones in your RB1 slot. And if I'm drafting RB2, RB3, I prefer Cam Akers. The fifth round is the best time of any in an entire fantasy draft to draft a wide receiver. Essentially, Ronald Jones FFPC ADP of 59.97, which is tight end premium. So he's going a little bit earlier in non-tight end premium leagues. That's the most fertile zone to draft a wide receiver. So in a different year where we had a different structural draft strategy, I might have significant Ronald Jones on underdog. It's conceivable that based on where I'm drafting, that it would structurally make sense to have some Ronald Jones. It's just not happening this year. I don't hate Ronald Jones. He is intriguing. And he certainly has more upside than, say, Devin Singletary or Raheem Mostert. He's not a guy that you're going to have to be disciplined about holding on your bench as the season goes along like J.K. Dobbins. He's a guy that you can actually play in your RB2 slot. But he's a projection. We're projecting that he becomes a more instinctual runner. We're projecting that he's able to maintain his speed and explosiveness after adding 10 to 15 pounds, like Darren Waller. You're projecting that he becomes a better pass protector. You're projecting that he's active in the passing game for once in his career. And I'm here for it. I'm a raging optimist about any running back with size and explosiveness who has demonstrated efficiency in the passing game. And last year, when targeted, Ronald Jones was efficient because the way to win in fantasy football is to capture upside at value at the running back position. Last year, it was McCaffrey in the first round, Dalvin Cook in the second round, Aaron Jones in the third round, Derrick Henry in the fourth round. That's why avoiding running backs in the early rounds is antithetical to winning. Like, oh, well, you know, but look what happened to Leonard Fournette. Okay, okay, look what happened to Leonard Fournette. The notion that Leonard Fournette was a value in the fourth round is over, right? Finished, eviscerated. But Derrick Henry was a value in the fourth round last year, wasn't he? Oh, but Derrick Henry's good, Leonard Fournette's bad. Okay, 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 shut up. Shut up. No one in fantasy football has any idea how good Leonard Fournette actually is because we've never seen him run behind a quality offensive line. We've never seen it. We've never seen him with a good quarterback. We've never seen him with a good offensive line. We've never seen him on a good offense. So fuck out of here with your armchair scouting report on Leonard Fournette. I don't want to hear it. If you're fading Leonard Fournette, I only want to hear from Evan Silva. The rest of you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I am confident in my assessment of Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette is a bigger, faster, more explosive version of Lamar Miller and Latavius Murray in their prime if you also bolted on smoothness in the passing game. That's who he is. We've been explaining exactly what Leonard Fournette is for the last four years. He is one of the most exciting yet flawed running backs in the league because he can deliver big plays and melt faces on a productive offense. And he did the absolute most with the absolute least in Jacksonville. But he's not elusive. He is straight line-ish. That was what we talked about when he came out of LSU. That he is exciting yet flawed. A running back like Leonard Fournette can thrive when given wide running lanes. He can be one of the top scorers in fantasy football. You don't believe me? Just ask Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray is inferior to Leonard Fournette in every way. Not as big. Not as fast. Not as slick in the passing game. 
But as a starter in New Orleans last year, what did Latavius Murray do? 32 fantasy points and 36.7 fantasy points. He had two games with more than 10 carries, put up more than 32 points in both of those games. That's why you want players that look like Leonard Fournette, not James Conner, not Le'Veon Bell. They can't do that. You want the explosive runs and the receiving production. If Leonard Fournette goes to the Bears or goes to Washington, it's not an upgrade because those offensive lines could be even worse. Those teams could score even fewer points than Jacksonville. But if he goes to New England or any team with an efficient offense and a quality run-blocking offensive line, the upside is astronomical. Because unlike Ronald Jones, we've actually seen it. And if he goes to Tampa, running behind Ali Marpet, one of the true road-grading guards in the NFL, oh baby. And you will not hear a dance party from the Podfather. We're going to see how the season plays out. Fuck it. Go to predictionstrike.com, enter the promo code UNDERWORLD, and you'll get 10 free investment bucks with your deposit bonus. And the last thing you want to do is invest in both Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette right now, because if he goes to Tampa, they may both underperform. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. If I had to pick a player to get exposure to on Prediction Strike, it would be Divine Ogzigbo. He has size. He's athletic. He's explosive. 124.9 80th percentile burst score and a 70th percentile college target share. Posted a 1,000-yard season in his final year at Nebraska with 38 targets. Now, the catch rate was bad. Only 23 receptions on 38 targets, but I'm going to look at the glass half full. 7.0 yards per carry on just 155 rush attempts in his final season. 12 touchdowns, the 38 targets. He checks more boxes as a prospect than Raquel Armstead, and he's a lot more affordable. After the roster watch guys observed Jaguars practice, said, be careful, Podfather. They've got Chris Thompson operating in red zone packages. And they've got a Zigbo rotating in for a number of series. In addition to James Robinson. So it's not just Raquel Armstead. And it's not just Chris Thompson. And that did give me pause in Leonard Fournette's week one role. And that's one of the reasons why, before the news was released, that Leonard Fournette was released. We had players like Allen Robinson and DJ Moore ranked ahead of Leonard Fournette. That's why if you go to Underdog, underdogfantasy.com, and get the app in the App Store, Underdog Fantasy, I've been drafting more DJ Moore and Allen Robinson in the third round than Leonard Fournette. I mean, thank God, right? The roster watch guys saved us from being overexposed to Leonard Fournette. Thank you to Byron Lambert in particular for helping to ensure that my best ball portfolio is looking strong. Because in the last few weeks, there really was only one running back you wanted in the third round. That was Jonathan Taylor. And with so many fantasy gamers reaching for that guy, that left you with an Allen Robinson or a DJ Moore. Cool. We'll take it. I even got some Allen Robinson in the fourth round. And now we see Nick Foles inching, inches, inches ahead of Mitchell Trubisky. And if we can just get nominal pass protection for Nick Foles, it's on for Allen Robinson. Nick Foles is a flawed quarterback. He cannot succeed in the face of of pressure. You saw him face plant in Jacksonville behind one of the worst offensive lines in the sport. When he's nestled behind the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, Nick Foles looks like an MVP. He was an MVP. Fuck, he was a Super Bowl MVP. But Nick Foles and Latavius Murray, they illustrate why situation is so important. Latavius Murray in Oakland was useless. He could never find a crease to explode through when Oakland had one of the worst offensive lines in the sport. Nick Foles didn't have enough time for his customary seven-step drop and survey the field. Boom, sacked. So that's my worry in Chicago. 
It's one of the worst offensive lines, and Nick Foles feels set up to fail. And the downside for Allen Robinson is Mitchell Trubisky, right? And even so, even so, he was a top 10 fantasy wide receiver with Mitchell Trubisky for the full season. So if somehow, some way, the Bears figure out how to pass block, pencil in Allen Robinson in the top five. That's why you're drafting him aggressively. It's always been about upside. That's the thing. That's the thing that gets lost. Our approach has always been and will continue to be all about upside within reason, right? Within reason. You don't want to draft the most expensive handcuff on the board just because he has a great prospect profile. That's not necessarily the way to go. But wherever it makes sense, you want to lean upside. And even though a Zigbo is a value and James Robinson is also a value, there's not a lot of upside on a tanking team. It's a tryout year for Jacksonville. They want to see what they have in a Zigbo. They want to see what they have in James Robinson. James Robinson is even more explosive than a Zigbo. He has a 130.5 92nd percentile burst score. He's best comparable to Kenneth Dixon in a good way. In a good way. Kenneth Dixon had the raw material to be a breakout star in the NFL. It just didn't happen for him. James Robinson had a 20 reception season at the college level. In the next season, he had over 2,000 all-purpose yards. So you have a 220-pound dominant college runner with great burst and non-zero receiving skills. This is a guy you want to stash, especially in Dynasty. So the guy to get in Dynasty is James Robinson, because I'm guessing at this point a Zigbo is owned. And the guy to stash in seasonal leagues is a Zigbo. And if it doesn't happen for a Zigbo early in the season, it's fine. You just let go. You let go. You don't overdraft Chris Thompson. You certainly do not overdraft Raquel Armstead, because that's the temptation. Oh, Raquel Armstead's now the main guy. He's the primary back. First and second down, goal line. Oh, look at Raquel Armstead. Got to go get that guy. And then he's being rotated out for Divine Ogzigbo. And you're like, okay, okay, cool. Divine Zigbo. Okay, okay, cool. All right, maybe he'll get into the next series. Oh, now, now they have James Robinson in there. Oh, wait, wait, what? What? Yeah, because they're overtly tanking in Jacksonville. That's what they're doing. And without Leonard Fournette, there is no alpha. There's an alpha void, just like there was an alpha void in Miami last year, and you weren't playing Miami running backs with any success. So don't get out over your skis drafting anyone in the Jacksonville Jaguars running game. Just focus on DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault. I expect the team to give LaVisca Chenault at least 10 carries. Why not? They want to see what he is. This is an experimental year for the Jaguars. They're coming out in week one saying, we don't want to win. This is the first team in NFL history to wave the white flag in training camp. So if you're Jacksonville, what are you going to do? You want to see exactly what you have in LaVisca Chenault. Why not? In his final season at Colorado, 23 carries. You see him getting at least 10, some in the red zone in Jacksonville. Imagine that. You overdraft Raquel Armstead, and it's not even James Robinson or Devina Zigbo. It's actually LaVisca Chenault vulturing the touchdown. I mean, that's a bad feeling. So I'm giving you permission to avoid Raquel Armstead, to avoid Chris Thompson. And if you want to get cute with this backfield in seasonal leagues, Push the button on a Zigbo, and in Dynasty, you got to stash James Robinson. We have deeper rosters in Dynasty. James Robinson could still be available because he was an undrafted free agent, and some NFL teams only carry three running backs. I believe Jacksonville will carry four running backs, and James Robinson will make the team as part of their extended tryouts, also known as the NFL season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we will find out together, and when you're... And, 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 and we will see. You already know. 
But we will find out together on social media, at Fantasy underscore Mansion, what happens with Leonard Fournette. If he does break through, if he does somehow, some way, land in New England, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Bill Belichick, right? I mean, Leonard Fournette does have a Randy Moss quality to him. He really does. Uncommon size and speed, looks like a gazelle on the football field, specializes in splash plays, divisive locker room character, lands in New England. And becomes the ultimate company man. I mean, you can just, you can say it. You can say it. I'll have Patrick Murphy on the show. I'll have Patrick Murphy over to my house. He's just down the road. I'll have Patrick Murphy over to my house. And we will have a physical dance party. Just, just me and Patrick Murphy. Imagine. If he has time, he's so obsessed with managing these fantasy teams. Check out his website. Fantasyfootballking.com. Fantasyfootballking.com. Free consultation. Make the playoffs of your money back. If you're eager to get over the hump this year and take your fantasy gaming to the next level, if that championship has been elusive, go to fantasyfootballking.com and get in touch with Patrick Murphy before it's too late. And it's never too late to talk to John Paulson. Every day that goes by, he's tweaking and adjusting and calibrating his rankings. One of the best projectors of player production in this business. And one of the great foils to the podfather. Oh, John and I have had some truly fun conversations. No one can extinguish my enthusiasm for fringe players quite like John Paulson. Such a good dude. Be sure to follow him at 4 for 4 underscore John on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. It's Late August, now early September, and it's John Paulson time on the Underworld Pod. John Paulson, head of forecasting at 4 for 4, is here because I have questions and he has answers. John Paulson, talk to me. How you doing, Matt? Or can I call you Matt or do I have to refer to you as the Podfather or how does this work? No, no, we're friendly, so you can just call me Matt. We're friendly, okay. Yeah, you can call me Matt. Yeah, we're we're peers. We're peers. If if you're just one of the unwashed masses, then you have to refer to me as Podfather. And then I I put my hand out, you kiss the ring. But we're peers. So I'm Matt. You're John, and we're good at this. Or at least I was until yesterday, and then the Leonard Fournette thing. Oh, it, I just heard about it a few minutes ago. Not good. He is released, and now we're waiting. By the time this podcast drops, more information about Leonard Fournette will be out there. A lot of questions will have been answered, so we are speculating now. So we're essentially producing stale content in real time, which is the ultimate podcast hack, right? Mm -hmm. Lay out his range of outcomes from your perspective. Well, this is the worst thing that could have happened to him, right? I mean, he was the lead back for a team that had fed him the ball in the past, and he's had some good finishes in the last two or three years, and now he's uh, a street-free agent. He's out there in the wind. Well, he's he's on waivers, so he might get picked up by a team um, as of today, Tuesday. Tuesday, 4 o'clock. Dun, dun, dun. But nobody would trade for him, right? Not even a seventh rounder. Not even a seventh rounder. Not even a seventh rounder. They wouldn't pay $4 million and a seventh rounder for Leonard Fournette. Right. So maybe maybe a million dollars. We'll get it. I don't know. But, uh so he's going to have to find a landing spot. I, I pulled up the uh, the betting odds. Have you looked at these? I have. Yeah, 10 to 4 on the Patriots, 10 to 4 on the Bears, 
and then it's Buccaneers, it's Washington, it's Houston, and then that's it. Yeah, and I there was a story that he would really he's really good friends with Jalen Ramsey and would like to come to Los Angeles, which is giving me um, no, don't do that. It's, it's causing my heart to skip a beat. Don't do that. Don't do that. I have all the Cam Akers in the fifth round. That's not happening. He can't do that to me. That would be heartbreaking. I was fine pivoting off Leonard Fournette in the third and then early fourth where he's been going, knowing I could get Cam Akers in the fifth. If he happened to go to Los Angeles and nuke that situation, I would be particularly angry. Yeah, I think he. you look at what uh, Devonta Freeman is doing right now, was trying to find a team, and that's where Fournette's probably going to be in 24 hours if he doesn't get picked up. He's better than Devonta Freeman, but where does he land situation? None of these situations are great. I would say the bear is probably the best. He has a chance to just go in there and maybe win the job. If he runs well with David Montgomery out, uh, Patriots is just a, just how many, how many running backs do they need? Um, if he goes to Tampa, the Ronald, jo- uh, Ronald Jones guys are just going to blow, you know, their heads are going to explode. I want to see that. That would be funny. <laughs> I've warmed to Ronald Jones, though. Ever since Keyshawn Vaughn showed up to camp on the COVID list, yep. the Ronald Jones range of outcomes have really expanded where he is an upside play. I acknowledge he's an upside play, but, but. Yeah, he, you know, I, a lot of people have point. I mean, I learned a lot about Ronald Jones. Like, I didn't realize the, the level of truthers out there with him. Like, I, I, you know, I paid attention to him last year, but, you know, I the thing that stuck out to me was that he got benched for blowing a pass block, but. You know, a lot of the truthers pointed out some really good rushing stats, advanced stats that he had. And I went back and watched some film, and he, he does run the ball well. And I think he's going to be that, you know, first, second down guy. Um, the, McCoy, the McCoy signing, I don't know how you feel about this, but. He's going to make the team. Yeah, he's going to make the team. He's a great, he's great pass blocker. He knows where he's supposed to be. Um, so that's part of it. He's a good receiver. I don't think he's completely washed either. So he, he's going to be a thorn, I think, in Ronald Jones' side. And as for Vaughn, you know, once he was on the COVID list, I really, I mean, I was on him in the summer, and I thought that they were, you know, trying to set up this backfield for him, um, the way that Bruce Arians was talking about him and wanting to find a three-down back and, and Vaughn having that sort of skill set. But uh, he's so far, far behind right now. He, it sounds like he might be able to contribute week one in special teams, so... Oh, God, I know. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. There's a touch squeeze happening in Tampa the moment they signed LaShawn McCoy. It illustrates that whatever the front office thinks of players stops mattering after the draft. Then it's the coaches. It's up to the coaches. The Tampa Bay front office may hate Ronald Jones and may love Keyshawn Vaughn. It doesn't matter. It's going to be Bruce Arians and Tom Brady that make those decisions about who's in the player personnel packages, not the general manager. So when I hear that the general manager likes player X or dislikes player X, I just shrug my shoulders. I would love to jump into the head of the coach and find out, but coaches, NFL coaches in particular, are notorious liars. So you're not going to get a lot out of them with a few exceptions. Bruce Arians is not an exception, right? Bruce Arians is not a truth teller. He just blows bubblegum bubbles and rainbows on every player. Come on, man. Every player is a unicorn that lands with Bruce Arians. Get the hell out of here. I think he... You know, there was that there was that little uh, thread about him being a liar, and I, I, I took some exception to that because he did. Oh, was it back in uh, with Andre Ellington? Named him the starter, and then Ellington got hurt, um, game one or game two, and then Chris Johnson took over. And there was another situation where he named his starter early, and then something happened. Um, but 
so I do think that Ronald Jones will be that. Oh yeah. Will be that guy. Yeah. Uh, to start, to start, but I think he's going to pivot quickly if he needs to. Ronald Jones ADP rises twenty slots right throughout the off season at least, and be careful claiming victory on an ADP spike. Just be careful. I've seen a lot of things, man. I've seen a lot of things on good and bad. And on both ends of the spectrum, look at Darren Waller last year. I was like, Darren Waller's going to put on 30 pounds and think he's going to maintain his speed and explosiveness. I want to see it. I'll see it. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it this year with Logan Thomas. I want to see it. I want to see it, man. I'm excited to see it. And then Darren Waller actually delivered. Per the NFL's next-gen stats, he was one of the fastest tight ends in the league. So he was able to add muscle mass and maintain his explosiveness. If Ronald Jones can do that... Then that's exciting. Then he's a 220-pound back with some real elusiveness and tackle-breaking abilities. You look at his juke rate, top 25 on playerprofiler.com. Breakaway run rate, top 20. Top 10 yards per reception in the passing game. If he can get the ball out in space, he can be an explosive runner that's difficult to bring down. That can be exciting, particularly on a team that scores a lot of points. The upside angle on Ronald Jones is exciting. I don't dispute that at all. And... That's what you want in fantasy football. You want more upside. Like, for example, you would agree. Ronald Jones has more upside than Devin Singletary? Yes. See? See? Yeah, I mean, and Singletary's trying to fumble the job away, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, it's not enough that he's small and slow and that all his touchdowns get vultured by Josh Allen. He's also fumbling? (laughs) Like, what? And he had the highest rate last year and struggling in camp when they're not even wearing pads. Um, So... No, I've been. Uh, I moved Zach Moss up from about ten spots on that. I actually have him ahead of Singletary now. I just think that this is happening. It's the easiest pivot of all time. Is that the team drafts a bigger, better version of the guy they had, and that guy's getting drafted three rounds later in fantasy football. Just draft that guy instead of the other guy. It's really just that. It's just that. And what's crazy is that Singletary, once once Gore left, Singletary was going like second, third round, like near the two, three turn in some of those early, early best balls. And he just shows you how thing, how quickly things can. Yeah, he was like looked looked at as a bell cow. Wow. wow in the, in the, it's just, just the redraft, uh, the redraft best balls. And he was going like second, third. So life comes at you fast. Life comes at you fast. And if you don't have that speed score, I love the speed score. If you don't have the size and the speed, I'm looking for upside. And if you don't have that, I'm probably not going to be that excited. I'm just probably not going to be that excited. Raquel Armstead has that in Jacksonville, but it is Jacksonville. And this is a team that's going to be conducting tryouts during the season instead of actually trying to win games. (laughs) So that's why I'm not excited about Raquel Armstead. Is there anyone to get excited about in Jacksonville? Anybody? Well, yeah, DJ Chark. Uh, you made fun of me last year. I think I pronounced his name Shark, and you had the you had the Jaws theme going on in the background. And Ooh, um, that sounds like something I would do. Yeah, he, he ended up having a pretty good season. I was there. I remember. Yeah. Um, so I think he's going to be he's he's rock solid there. He's fifth rounder. He's oh, that's that's beautiful stuff right there. Really I think is. Minshew. If you if you're like hardcore streamer, he has a great opening schedule um the team probably going to be trailing a lot a lot of throws uh, he was pretty good in his starts he, i mean if you look at his stats and look at his averages he played some partial games and stuff but in his 12 starts uh 16.6 fantasy points per game 15th highest per game average last year so he's going what 
QB 22 or something. Yeah, he's also top five in rushing yards per game. Yeah, he can add that uh, Konami code thing for you. And uh, LaVisca Chenault, mm. Mm. late round target now, drawing rave reviews. I love how you pronounced it, LaVisca. Like he's a vodka drinker. I love that. LaVisca. I don't watch a lot. I don't watch a lot of college football, so I don't know how to pronounce any of these guys' names. So I don't either. I have no idea. I've been calling him LaVisca only because other people do. You could be correct. I have no idea. I don't watch these games. We'll, call, we'll, we'll go with just Visca, right? Yeah, Visca. No, I think he... It looks like D.D. Westbrook's kind of falling off. Chris Conley's pretty good for them last year, and I think he'll continue to play. Westbrook seems like he's not having a great camp. Well, the shoulder injury for Westbrook is devastating. Yeah, um, so Chenault is a... He's going very late. 13th, 14th, 15th round. So uh, Chris Thompson is the other guy. He's going to have some big games. Oh, yeah. That's your guy. He probably isn't going to play 14 games or 16 games, but he's going to get some seven catch, eight catch games with this team because of what they're where they are at the running back position and, and how they're going to trail. And he just is a good he's good as a receiver. He's a good passing game back. So reunited with uh, Jay Gruden. And that was the reason I was down on Fournette this year. So I think Thompson, you can't you can't count on him. But if you're in a pinch and you need ten points, you might might get it out of Thompson. There are about seventeen different rationales that you could fade Leonard Fournette, <laughs> and now they've all come true. They've all they've all come true. They pick a rationale. Whether it was Chris Thompson or the offensive line, or they tried to trade him. Or that he's fat and slow and can't play football, or he's fat and lazy. You could declare victory now. Go ahead. There's a lot of uh, spiking of the football yesterday or the day before with uh, with the Fortnite stuff yesterday. The equipment staff is still cleaning up all the footballs from the spiking. <laughs> a lot of Gronk spikes. Yeah. And rookie wide receivers are falling down all over the place. First, we had Denzel Mims with the hamstring strain. He's still not back. He's still, no. it's been three weeks and he's not back yet. Like, hello? Perriman has knee soreness, mm-hmm. so Perriman has famously bad knees, and so this is terrifying for Brashad Perriman, and Mims would have the job just waiting for him. <laughs> Even Vincent Smith is out. It would just be, it's just, it's like, please, anytime you want to come back, Denzel, it's your job. Come on back, buddy. Come on back. But you can't feel confident drafting an injured rookie. No, you can't do that. So that's why Jalen Rager can't draft him. Right, he's gonna miss time. Can't draft him. And Brandon Ayuk, strained a hamstring. He hasn't been practicing since forever. Difficult to draft him. Who's left? Lavisca Chenault and Brian Edwards. Am I missing any? I think at cost, you're right. I think that if Rieger, those guys are gonna drop another two or three rounds. And if you're looking at them as your wide receiver five or six, you if you like them still, I think they're both going to be playing uh, fairly soon in September. So I think they're not undraftable, um, you can, and Rieger, because they both project to have pretty big roles once they come back. You just aren't going to be able to count on them for the first four, four weeks of the season. I prefer Ayuk because he's not going to have to wear a shoulder harness the entire season. That's fair. But Debo's looking good, too. So whatever upgrade you had with Ayuk <clears throat> because of uh, Debo Samuel's injury, it looks like Debo's going to be playing week one. So that's uh, is that is that really happening? It looks like it, yeah. That's what's ha- really. I heard a whisper about this that he looks good, that he might be ready for Week One, that he actually is now trending toward playing in Week One. Good for him, man. Everyone loves Debo Samuel. How could you not love Debo Samuel? I have been drafting some Kendrick Bourne on Underdog because he's available late, 
and he projected to be the starter, right? So if Ayuk is out, he's going to be the starter. If Debo is out, he's going to be the starter. All I need is one of these guys to be out, and Kendrick Bourne is in there. Is that a good move, just to vacuum him up late in best ball? That makes sense. I think what they're going to end up doing, though, I don't know if you saw the report that they're going to play a lot of 12, and that's with Jordan Reed uh, on the field uh, in the slot because he's better than um, – this is what this is what the beat writer is saying. Uh, he's better than Trent Taylor. Better than Trent Taylor, possibly better than Kendrick Bourne. So if you have a healthy Debo, a healthy Ayuk, and you got your two tight ends out there, then there isn't room for Bourne. But he's a touchdown machine. He's only 24. You know, guys like Kendrick Bourne that come out of obscurity to play significant roles on offenses that I think are going to exceed expectations. He's similar to Russell Gage in that way. Where these aren't explosive guys that you're that they're going to go out and, and be you know downfield splash play specialists, but they're going to be in the game a lot on teams with good quarterback play and could go out and score a bunch of touchdowns. Yeah, Bourne had what five or six last year. Yeah, um, primary target for Jimmy Garoppolo in the red zone. So you're you're not going to get a lot of like hundred yard games out of him, but you can get some get some production. He's not that guy. Alvin Kamara's holding out. He's holding out. He's not injured. It's not a fake migraine. He wants a new contract. But if the team decides to announce that he is holding out, they start finding him forty grand a day. So they're not announcing that for that reason, you think? They're just trying to keep this a secret so that they keep everything, like to keep the temperature down on this contract negotiation. That's why the team is on board with Joe Mixon's migraines. We're just excited to get him back. Look, he's out. He's at practice. He's watching. You know, these migraines, if you watch The Last Dance, they can be debilitating. Just ask Scotty Pippen. That's why I call him uh, Joe Pippen. It's my new name for Joe Mixon. I had a thought that the NFL should institute a lie detector. Just every every coach that's on an interview has to have a, like a lie detector that you can see in the corner of the screen. In the corner... I thought it would make a beep, and then you, that would be untenable because you wouldn't be able to hear what they're saying because the beeping would just be constant. <laughs> it would just be like this, like one of these, like just like the whole time. Like I can't, you can't hear what I'm saying, John. You can't hear, you can't hear me talking. It's just one lie after another. Yeah, I read the the migraine thing. That was funny with Mixon. Yeah, yeah, I believe that for never. The new rules, new rules are have changed this whole thing. Usually a guy wouldn't show up to camp. I mean, Dalvin cook is also an issue. They're all an issue because the running back Renaissance, it hit this pinnacle in 2017 with that 2017 running back class because Aaron Jones is in that class too. I mean, it's just a bunch of great running backs and go and win fantasy leagues, but, but they all want to get paid. And now they're seeing what's happening with Leonard Fournette. They saw what happened this off season with Melvin Gordon $8 million a year. They're like, what the fuck? $8 million? Oh, no. I picked the wrong position in high school. <laughs> Damn it, Dad. It's rough. It's rough out there for a running back. You got to move up Latavius Murray. You just have to. Oh, did you see? I mean, his splits in the two games with, with no Kamara, he was like number one RB, number one fantasy running back for those two weeks. He's, he's insane. John. He only was putting up 30-plus fantasy points a game. If you like that, if 30-plus fantasy points is fine for you, then okay, get Latavius Murray, I guess. Yeah, normally you're normally you're drafting him just kind of hoping that there's an injury or, you know, on the, on the chance that there's an injury. You don't want to hope for injuries, but that's why you're drafting Latavius Murray. But now you might get a couple of games in September out of him. You might get a couple of injury games. 
I think two. I think the way the CBA is structured with these $40,000 fines per day, these guys can't hold out more than two weeks, especially with only second round money in the bank. It's not like they're Melvin Gordon and they've built up a war chest they can live on for weeks and weeks and weeks and absorb all these fines and then get them waived when they finally agree to come back. The teams are not allowed to waive the fines any longer and they're a lot more significant. So it does give the player less leverage. And I think the result is going to be shorter holdouts. I think shorter holdouts are what we can expect, but it's in play with all these guys. So do you think that they're going to actually announce that there's a holdout? Let's say we're, we're in week one. Kamara still isn't practicing. Are they just going to say he has an injury? Or are they going to start finding him? I wouldn't. It's going to be a personal reason. It's going to be grandma has COVID. It's going to be something. It's going to be anything. Listen, you know. I mean, you are one of the best at reading the tea leaves with what NFL coaches are saying. And I was more skeptical years ago when you first came on the show. Now, over the years, you've really proved yourself to be one of, if not the best, at reading the tea leaves. And it's getting harder and harder every year because these coaches are just prolific liars. They're really good at it. I wish they were better at actually evaluating talent and developing game plans. If they were as good at that as they are lying, I mean, wow. Yeah, I wonder if uh, that Ty Montgomery signing is a sign of of something there. Like they knew this might be, uh, this might happen, and they needed somebody to fill in, you know, in Kamara's role for the first couple of weeks with, you know, Murray taking the lead. But you know, you watch what they do, not what they say. And that's right. So that's why you're looking at the draft and you're looking at who they're signing, who you know, who they're bringing in for workouts, because that's that's the real signal that you're looking for. If there was a street free agent that you would bring in at a veteran minimum, to fill the Camara role, it would absolutely be Ty Montgomery. He would be the guy. And it's not just running backs. I hear, oh, well, you know, the zero or uh, the, the robust RB guys must be really sweating all these running back injuries and contract negotiations. Uh, have you noticed that DeAndre Hopkins isn't practicing and no one's talking about why? And he also was traded away from Houston ostensibly because he wanted a new contract and Houston didn't want to give it to him. Yeah. He, he claimed, what was it on Twitter that he's not holding out? He said that. <laughs> so that's from the horse's mouth. This is great. This is great. I love that. This show is just lie detector. That's the name of the show. That's what it is. That's all this is. It's Deandre Hopkins lie detector. That's all it is. Is he still he's still out? Man. He hasn't practiced. He's not practicing. And no one's talking about it. And they're calling it a hamstring? There are real hamstrings. I believe, <laughs> based on his history, that AJ Green has a hamstring injury. <laughs> okay, I believe that. I believe Denzel Mims wants to be out there. Absolutely. Like the number two job is just there. It's a chair that's empty. He's like, I just want to go sit in that chair. I want to go run some routes. He has a hamstring injury. DeAndre Hopkins. Nah, <laughs> not buying it, not buying it, not buying it. And so what I think the fantasy gamers need to do in the future is put more value on franchise tags and long-term contracts, like what Ezekiel Elliott has a long-term contract. Uh, Derrick Henry's signed. Ezekiel Elliott's signed. Um, uh, thinking of uh, Julio Jones has signed an extension. So to get that stability 
to, you know, that stability has more value than I think it's been assigned in previous years when we're creating our range of outcomes that powers our rankings. I have Julio Jones as my number one target in the second round if Devontae Adams is off the board. Do you agree with that? Uh, I am a proponent of grabbing two of the top 14 running backs due to the certainty of workload. Now, there are a couple of guys I'm okay with in the fifth round, um, Raheem Mostert and Mark Ingram and Cam Akers, so it's three. Um, but I'm typically trying to, to draft two running backs, so I'm getting Julio really only at the back end of that first round because um, I'm I'm taking Aaron Jones every time. I'm taking Austin Eckler every time. Um, well, see, I'm with you on Aaron Jones. I am drafting Aaron Jones aggressively. He's going end of second round. I'm taking him early second round. I have more Aaron Jones than any other running back except the late round running backs like Chase Edmonds, which is just, just I, I don't have any more room in my house, right, for any more Chase Edmonds. <laughs> it's just like, hey, honey, honey, what about that closet by the garage? What's in there? I have some more Chase Edmonds I need to store. But uh, it, it, I keep reading that the Chargers are ramping up Josh Kelly's role and the reps with the ones specifically in the red zone and I'm moving more and more away from Austin Eckler and that's pushing me into the arms of Aaron Jones. Okay. Um I don't have an issue with that. I mean I mean I'm I'm big on Josh Kelly in the in the late rounds for sure. And it does sound like Justin uh, Jackson's doing his part by getting injured um recently and it looks like Kelly really is ramping up there to be that RB2. And I, I think you can draft both, honestly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Eckler, Melvin Gordon played 12 games last year and had 162 carries and 42 catches. And Eckler was the RB5 in PPR. Now, I realize they're going to not – he's not going to have 92 catches this year, but 75-plus is likely, in my opinion. Book it. Oh, especially with Mike Williams out. Yeah, so, and I can see a situation where both Kelly and Eckler are on the field together because Eckler can line up outside. I want to see that. I definitely want to see that. I like Eckler in the second round uh, as well, along with Aaron Jones. Um, I'm getting some like Nick Chubb late second round. I don't, he's my last guy, uh, especially in PPR because he's just not a big pass catcher with, with Kareem Hunt there. But so to answer your question, Julio is fine. Um, I have him a little bit higher than I have him ahead of um, Terry Kill, and good. I have him ahead of Hopkins. Good, good. Um, but I'm not getting a lot of him for that reason. Like I'm always hitting running back in the second round. He's getting pushed up, and you're right to start RBRB. That is the right move, generally speaking. But I have rationalized now that Melvin Gordon slips into the fourth round. I think there's opportunity there with Cam Akers in the fifth, and also I don't mind James White and Flex. Assuming, assuming Fournette doesn't land in New England, I think that there's real opportunity for James White to have a, you know a 14 plus fantasy points per game season like he did a couple years ago with the Sony Michelle injury. I think that it's going to be a committee of I think it's going to be a mix of players that take over those Sony Michelle carries. It's not going to be one for one all going to Damian Harris, but no one's taking James White's passing game role. And with Cam Newton there, running backs in the red zone are at an advantage when Cam Newton's on the field because he commands so much attention. When he chooses not to run it in, 
and he pitches it out, there's no one there. It's just they glide right in. And over the years, especially in high leverage situations, it's been James White that's been out there in the red zone. So I think James White's a value. And I sort of back into the justification for a guy like Julio in the second round if you can get some of these other running backs strategically in the fourth, fifth, and James White, seventh, eighth round. This is from Mr. Unlimited on Twitter, just a random tweeter that was called to my attention, writes, one of my high school friends is close friends. (laughs) This is great. You know this is great, the start of this. One of my high school friends is close friends with Josh Kelly. Says Kelly's getting a ton of goal line and early reps with the first team. Expects to be the 1B to Eckler. Yeah. That's from a random guy who's friends with a guy who's friends with a guy who's friends with Josh Kelly. I mean, how can you not write that in ink? I mean, there's a game. There's like there's a game six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah, it's it's about three degrees. It's not bad. It's a pretty good amount of degrees. I'm happy with it. I'm comfortable with it. I'm also very comfortable with Josh Kelly. He is a phenomenal person, and he's just one of those people where you meet an athlete sometimes, and you're just like struck by their whole being. And I was that way meeting Josh Kelly at the Senior Bowl. It was just a different type of guy. He was wired in a way that was like, I have a hard time seeing this guy fail. And you look at his career going all the way back to junior college and his path to UCLA, and then he dominated right out of the gates at UCLA. He's an impressive dude. Yeah, I think we should be grateful that we haven't had the uh, the Josh Kelly hype episode of Hard Knocks because we can still get him That's right. 12th, 13th round. That's like right. It, that's if right. he was, if they were hyping him, he'd be going in the eighth or seventh. So you also are not doing any Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones stacks because I've done some of that in best ball. That's kind of a fun stack because you, you can always get Aaron Rodgers. No one wants him. They think he's washed. <laughs> they do. He uh, He's going so late, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's going so late. I can't tell you, John, the number of times I've been on underdog drafting and just on ADP, he's the best player available by 10 slots. They hate him. They hate his guts. I don't, I mean, I have him, I think 13-ish or, you know, QB2, high-end QB2 this year. Everything went right for the Packers at like real world football last year. Um, And he got, he was, as much as Aaron Jones was the beneficiary of some good touchdown fortune, uh, he was the victim of it. And I think you look at what the Packers did this offseason, and <clears throat> you're not looking at this team as being significantly better than what they were last year, and they got pretty lucky last year to win 13 games. So I think they're going to have a tougher time. Wait, the Packers won 13 games last year? I think they were 13-3. and three. Holy shit. I didn't know that. So I'm looking at this more of a 10-6, and 9-7 and seven team, you know, if things go pretty well. Um, so... I, I just think that the game scripts are going to change a little bit and Rodgers is going to be forced to throw more and there's going to be some more red zone uh, attempts for him. And he's going to have a better, he's going to have a better season, I think than what he did last year. He did score a lot of his points in a couple few games and people love to point that out. But you know, if things, if, if he's getting protection, he's still extremely productive, you know, fantasy quarterback. Like Russell Wilson, he's always been incredibly efficient in the red zone with an above average touchdown rate. If you're super skilled, your touchdown rate is always going to be higher than average. It's always going to be above league average unless there's some outlier season. And it's counterintuitive that by drafting A.J. Dillon over a wide receiver, I believe that helped Aaron Jones. 
because now he's arguably the second receiver on the team. You can say, oh, it's Alan Lazard. Cool, cool, whatever, whatever. Aaron Jones is right there, right? He's a 2B to Alan Lazard as their second option in the passing game. That's why I believe that if you had to find a player that was going to be this year's Christian McCaffrey drafted outside round one, the list starts and ends with Aaron Jones because he has the skill set and he's in a situation where he can deliver. And you might say, oh, well, the touchdown rate from last year is unsustainable. Sure, sure. But the opportunity share could go up and offset that. Yeah, even if you touch, you know, cut his touchdowns in half, he still would have finished RB7 last year. Yeah. I mean, he's being drafted sometimes RB14, or I guess he's going in the, it depends on the site. I've seen him end of the second round. I was looking for a stack in a best ball tournament. I took him at the 201. I just went Adams Jones. Fuck it. <laughs> well, I think if, uh, if the, I mean, they're going to be very concentrated between those two players, too. So that's the yeah. upside. I think definitely as after the draft, after I got over my emotions about the fact that they didn't draft a, a wide receiver in one of the most historically deep wide receiver drafts in the history of the league. Put us there. The, the Packers, they turn the card over. It's Jordan Love. They turn the card over. It's A.J. Dillon. What is John Paulson thinking and saying? Well, if that would have happened in one night, I might have lost my mind. I only sort of lost my mind because it happened over two nights. But like, I think after the first first night, and they traded up to get Jordan Love, <laughs> I was kind of befuddled. Right. Like, what's going on? Like, well, there's lots of receivers on the board. They can still get a really good receiver in the second round. You know, quarterback is such an important position. If they truly believe that the, this guy is a game changer, is a franchise quarterback, then this is a defensible pick even though you have Rodgers a future Hall of Famer on your roster and so we go into the second round and they take a running back <laughs> and you know I have no no disrespect to AJ Dillon but you already have Aaron Jones who is one of the best running backs in the league why in the world would you take a, a, a use a, a second round pick when you already have a really good run like if if Jones leaves after this year because they can't come to terms on a contract, fine, draft your running back next year. They're available. Leonard Fournette is on the waiver wire right now. You can get running backs. Why would you take A.J. Dillon in the second round? So I, I was in the weird position of being like, you know what, the first round pick was more defensible oh, yeah. than the second round pick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the second round pick was not defensible at all, although these clips we're getting of Jordan Love completely missing the target in training camp where it's not on the body of the receiver is disheartening. I will say that. I will say that he's skipping the ball to the, that's weird. I don't see that very often. I didn't see that at the senior bowl. He looked pretty good at the senior bowl. He looked a lot better than Jalen hurts. I can tell you that right now, but uh, Oh, well, right. We're going to see what happens, man. We'll see what, we'll see what happens. It, there was some weird. I remember there was some weird uh, Josh Allen mockery heading into his rookie season. And he figured it out. So, you know, plenty of time for Jordan Love to figure it out. Alan Lazard, I think, is real. I think he's locked into that number two role. And I think he's great for best ball. It's going to be very difficult to figure out when to play him in traditional leagues. So I'm pivoting off him in traditional leagues because I never know when to play him. There's also a tight end percolating beneath the surface because Jay Sternberger has not been practicing. And it's Robert Tanyan. He looks interesting. Yeah, hashtag uh, baby Kittle. I'm getting it started. I'm trying to get it started. Maybe you can help. We'll we'll do it. Robert Tanyan, baby Kittle. There it is. He um he's been training with Kittle. That's, that's hence the nickname. Oh, is that right? 
So it's been Tanyan, Kittle, and Hawkinson, right? Because Hawkinson and Kittle are like best friends. Yeah, they've all been trained together, I guess. So they brought in Tanyan. He's the third wheel. I guess so. Wow, good for you, Robert. He, If you look at their careers, he's done a lot more than Jay Sternberger. Jay Sternberger had uh, one target last year and dropped it. Um, Tanyan, at least, participated. Uh, he had a 10 for 100 and uh, a touchdown on 15 targets last year, and he had a 54-yard catch as a rookie against the Seahawks. You might remember that one. It's, that's a gif. Is it? I don't remember it. He had over 600 yards in every single season in college, at least his sophomore through senior season. That's impressive. I know it was Indiana State, but it's impressive. I'm excited about Adam Troutman from Dayton, so I can get excited about Robert Tanyan easily. Yeah, no one's judging you for being excited about Tanyan. Nobody at all. I think that he is in the mix, and uh, Matt LaFleur said, you know, was asked, can he start at tight end? He's like, absolutely, he has a chance to start at tight end. So Why not? I think they're trying to create that uh, competition uh, there, and he actually has a bigger resume right now to, to go on than, than Sternberger, who, you know, was more highly drafted out of college, but that doesn't matter now. Well, uh, Tanyan has that Kittle neck, too. They probably were doing the neck lifts together. When the neck is as wide as the ears, you're, you're probably pretty strong and good at a sport where you need to dominate other human beings. And he's like, he's appealing in, you know, tight end premium where you actually maybe draft in a third and, you know, best ball type situation. I, I feel a little weird taking him in the 18th round of a, of a, um, FFPC, um, slim best ball slim. Um, just cause there's other guys that I'm also interested in at that point, but, and Sternberger still might start, but Tanya is definitely like a name to have on speed dial. If he has that big first game or we get word that he's actually starting, um, this could get very interesting very quickly. He was surpassed by Logan Thomas because it looks like Logan Thomas has locked up that job in Washington. Yeah. Uh, how old is he, Thomas? Logan Thomas is 28. He's on the Gary Barnage plan. Gary Barnage <laughs> sprung to mind. No, he's 29. He's actually 29. He's not even 28. He's actually perfectly placed on the Gary Barnage career arc. I'm having a tough time getting excited about Logan Thomas, although I know he has some... Um, Smart people that like him in the fantasy industry. Well, we just love the measurables, and breakout tight ends look a lot like Logan Thomas, especially those that break out late. Even Gary Barnage was an impressive athlete across the board. And like with Robert Tanyan, there's a huge target void in Washington. There's a huge target void in Green Bay. These are the situations that you want to target a breakout tight end for. But if you're looking for tight end production... There's really nowhere else to look at value right now than Zach Ertz with this Jalen Rager injury. With Alshon Jeffrey essentially punting the first part of the season, he's going to be on pop. When you run the numbers on Zach Ertz, would you draft him over Mark Andrews at this point? Uh, I, st I still wouldn't. Uh, I mean, Andrews nearly outscored Ertz last year. I mean, it was like six points in PPR. And that was with Jeffrey missing six games, Jackson missing 13, no Rieger at all, or Rager at all. So these guys are going to be in the mix. I mean, what are you assuming out of Jackson this year? Because if he's out there, he's getting five, six targets. I love Jackson Goddard, this year. Yeah, Goddard's going to be getting his. I, I still think that Ertz, even though there's an injury to the rookie here who's going to be maybe missing September or missing a couple games in September, I don't think that's a reason to, to bump Ertz ahead of, of Anders, who is ascending player, and is probably going to see more snaps uh, with Hayden Hurst in Atlanta. I mean, I think Andrews becomes nearly a full-time player. And he was 
that was the big concern about him coming in to last year was that he was only playing so many snaps. So just checking, just checking. Okay. Jalen Rager injury, things change, things change. I'm just checking. I'm still. We have Andrews well ahead. I'm just checking. Okay. Deshaun Jackson, by the way, one full game last year, uh, 35 fantasy points. <laughs> so it's good, man. It's good. And then when you're just chasing ceiling, though, like in a best ball tournament on underdog, I love Dallas Goddard because you have to play the thought experiment out. You're trying to win a one out of you know, 10,000, 20,000 people. Well, what happens when player X gets hurt? No one is more helped by an injury at the tight end position than Dallas Goddard should something happen to Zach Ertz. I mean, it's top three tight end in fantasy in his range of outcomes if that happens. Top one is in his range of outcomes. See, you hot-takerized my take. It could happen. This is not your first Roto Underworld Rodeo. I can tell. You're hot-takerizing me. This is the best. That's the best. So my favorite ceiling plays at tight end are Goddard and Jarwin because if you're going to be an every-down player in the Dallas offense, I just want that. Just give me that, and we'll figure out the rest. Give me Gallup. Give me Jarwin. We'll just figure whatever. Just that's the guy you want for chasing upside, and upside wins championships. Anyone else? Anyone else where you just think upside at tight end? At tight end, I, I've been targeting uh, Jarwin quite a bit. I've nice. been targeting Chris Herndon due to the drumbeat and the lack of playmakers in the passing game with the Jets. I mean, we talked about it earlier. Perryman's got a swollen knee. Mims is out. we got Crowder. And Herndon could see 100 targets or more. Probably not anymore. Why, why do you say that? It's early West Coast time. John Paulson. Oh, no. Likely hasn't read the news about Chris Herndon. Helped off the field today. Had to be helped off the field. Was he carted? We don't know if he was carted. <laughs> I don't know if a cart was involved. It's actually a big deal. I don't know if there was a cart involved. All I know is we can pencil Jamison Crowder in for 200 targets. That we know. I did see, I did see an injury, but I saw Matthew Berry say you can breathe a sigh of relief. It's not serious. So I don't so we'll see. We'll see. Oh, is that it? Oh, phew. Oh, phew. Sigh of relief. Yes. Just based on target share, you need to go after Chris Herndon. Okay, you're back on board. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's good. I thought I saw, I saw carried off the field. Now it's me that needs to wake up earlier. Well, now he's carried off the field, or is he helped off the field? I don't know. I don't know. Was there a cart? Were there, a car- Were there multiple bodies carrying him? Was he leaning on one person? Was he limping? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This is where we're at. We just need the season to start. So, Janu Smith's another guy I like, but the volume ceiling is probably not what you want. Um, but he could be the number two option in Tennessee in the passing game. I think he's that. I mean, he's extremely athletic. Um, if they can, they need to get him targets, though. He's just a low usage guy as of last year. But even on that low usage, he was producing like low end tight end one number. So, if they ramp that up at all and stop messing around with Corey Davis, um, he, he could be a tight end one as well. I love the tight ends that deliver the yards after the catch per target. And John New Smith is a yak monster. He's one of the top five yak producers at the tight end position. And the others are the best tight ends in the league. That's the path to being the most productive tight end with a few exceptions. Mark Andrews is an exception. Mark Andrews delivers more with target depth than he does with yak. But most other elite tight ends are also yak monsters. If you're comparing... Hawkinson to Gasecki, how are you those two have adjacent ADPs. How are you deciding between those two? I'll, I'll say that I saw the show sheet 
I looked at my I looked at my um, my rankings and I actually flipped it in my rankings. You you made me change one of my rankings because I think I would at this point take Hawkinson over Gasicki and yeah. I had it flipped the other way. It's happening! It's on! <laughs> Hawkinson breakout! He's moved ahead of Gasicki on John Paulson's rankings. That's all I need to know. I love Hawkinson, man. I love everyone that's working out with Kittle, whether it's Hawkinson, whether it's Tanyan. <laughs> Just get anyone that's near Kittle, if they can smell him, it just maybe they can brush up against him and they get a little Kittle sweat on their jersey. That's all I need. Just a little sprinkle of Kittle. That's all I need. Is that like like the new working out with Larry Fitzgerald? Because that used to be a thing. They used to work yeah. out with Larry Fitzgerald and, and come back. And, and That's the new thing at tight end. That's the new thing at tight end. And, you know, when Tom Brady was conducting all those illegal workouts in Florida, remember that? Breaking both Florida rules and uh, league rules, but he's Tom Brady, so it doesn't matter. He's also allowed to take H- HGH and no one cares because it's his own supplement. He owns the company, so he's allowed to do it. So all you have to do is start your own company and manufacture HGH in the Philippines and you can take it. That's apparently something that's allowed. Did you hear the story about Tom Brady walking into like some the wrong house? He was coming over to a coach's house and he walked in and just just like walked in. And the homeowner's like, what, what's, like, imagine if a, a black guy did that, what would happen in this day and age in Florida? Right. <laughs> Trayvon Martin was in Florida, down in that area of the country. And not even walking into people's houses. <laughs> we live in two Americas, John. We live in two Americas where the guy looked up and go, holy fuck, you're Tom Brady. Holy shit. And he's happy. He's happy somebody walked in. Look at you. You're Tom Brady. Holy, you're Tom Brady. That's got to be kind of a cool thing, right? Where the introduction when you walk into a room is just people reinforcing who your name is. Holy shit, you're Tom Brady. You're John Paulson. But how many people would you be happy to have accidentally walk into your house? Like, how long is the list, Matt? Pretty long. I mean, most celebrities would be cool to walk into our house. Bradley Cooper was running a house. And he had Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio over to his house and they were hanging out at dive bars in my neighborhood. That's not your living room, though. I know, but I'm just saying, imagine if they came to my house and knocked on my door and I'm like, holy shit, you're Brad Pitt. Look at you. You're beautiful. I guess the list pretty long. All right. It's a long list. And if my wife saw Bradley Cooper, fuck, man. It's over. Done. That's the hall pass right there. That's the hall pass. Did you see that Brad Pitt actually cashed in on the hall pass no his girlfriend is married and her hall pass was brad pitt and he just decided <laughs> to just take the hall pass home and keep it i thought he pa- he, he cashed on his hall pass but he cashed in somebody else's hall pass yeah he cashed in her hall pass and he just held on to it and he's been holding on to it ever since and like the husband's like german he's like a german businessman or something he's like uh honey so this whole hall pass thing, uh, eventually, you know, I mean, it's really not how the hall pass works, you know? It's supposed to be a one-time thing. Yeah, I mean, this is not it. You're changing all the rules of the hall pass. <laughs> now, I had a rule about not drafting injured players in fantasy football. It served me very well. It's tricky with Miles Sanders, though, because all the reports are that he's fine, John. He's week to week, but he's fine. He's fu- he's week to week, but it, it's fine. At least he doesn't have a contract holdout looming. I don't know what to do, man. 
I wouldn't downgrade him too much. It sounds like he was doing, quote unquote, this is a new one for me, shadow drills on the sideline. So he was doing the drill, um, but not with the ball or with other people. So that sort of cutting and running, that should be, you should be fine. Like shadow boxing. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're a boxer and you have an injury. Yeah. Yeah. You shadow box. You're probably not shadow boxing unless you're close. So I think, I think it'll be all right. Yeah. Shadow box. So you're more worried about the DeAndre Swift injury? Can he stay healthy, please? That would be great. Please, that would be great. Thank you. It would be wonderful. Please. I mean, we've got Kerryon Johnson with his giant knee brace. Um, doesn't really want to be the feature back, it seems, based on his comments. <laughs> right. He's just like, you know what? I just would just as soon get some help. Can you help me out, please? I'm good with 150 touches. Uh, yeah, Swift's not going to be somebody that we could count on uh, week one. It just isn't going to happen right now. I mean, we're, whatever, 10 days out? or It's it just, he's he's coming back. He's limited. He's missing practice again. He's coming. And he's they already said about him that he steep, uh, faces a steep leading, uh, learning curve and right. is going to be a little slow to pick this up. So I just don't think we're going to get it in September. I don't. I think we're, he's more of a midseason uh, guy going to take that rollover. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. That was another one of the ways that you could sneak in a Julio is was the DeAndre Swift in the fifth round, and that's I don't feel good about that now. But at the same time, though, the decks were cleared for Cam Akers, and it was Darrell Henderson that was injured. It's just wherever the injury wheel lands. As a fantasy ranker, it's challenging. Yeah, I think with Akers, they signal this is another signal. They drafted Henderson, and they turn around the next season, and they use a second-round pick on Akers. It just doesn't bode well for Henderson, who also couldn't beat out Malcolm Brown to be Todd Gurley's backup last year. I mean, Brown played more snaps and had more touches than Henderson did. So heading into this season, you want to be like my in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be high on Akers, but with this the weird off-season we're having, maybe he's a little bit behind in September. Now this injury to Henderson. Like all the reps that Akers is getting, what are we going to see week one with Henderson kind of coming off of what limited practice week one? Is he going to have a normal role that he would have? I think you're going to see a lot of Akers. You probably see Malcolm Brown at the goal line or something, oh. but uh, which is just that's also heartbreaking. They gross. really want to do a committee. It's just gross. But I think you're going to see a lot, a lot of Akers. Uh, Fifteen touches, I think, week one at minimum for for Akers if if Henderson is limited uh, heading into that week. David Montgomery, another injury. It's just, it's just crazy. It's very difficult to figure out what Tariq Cohen's role is going to be in the absence of David Montgomery because it could remain unchanged because he's so small and his role is so specific, but it could also expand. He's a tricky one to project. He really is. I'm looking at his 2018 and he had 99 carries for 444 yards, so that's a nice shout-out to 4 for 4 um, 71, 71 um, carries or catches, so you're looking at 170 touches. So that's like I don't know, 16 games. It's 11, 10.6 touches per game. That's his biggest workload that he's seen on average. Now with Montgomery out, mm. what are they going to do? I don't know. Is it Ryan Nall? Ryan Nall is there. Ryan Nall may be a thing. I just don't like this offense. You said that Brian Nall should be a tight end, didn't you, during the draft? <laughs> didn't happen. Listen, man. Listen, man. I would do a lot of things differently. 
I wouldn't have drafted Jordan Love. I wouldn't have drafted A.J. Dillon. I would have done a lot of things. I certainly wouldn't run my team the way Ryan Pace runs the Bears. I'll tell you that right now. I don't want Bears that are not named Allen Robinson, period. That's the list, Allen Robinson, because it's a below-average offensive line. It's not a high-scoring offense. So the running game is not something I'm interested in. I was never drafting David Montgomery because at least with a Leonard Fournette or a Melvin Gordon, they're explosive, right? You can see long runs. You can see explosive plays. Not so with David Montgomery. Ryan Nall should have moved to tight end. Ryan Nall would have been, could have been a productive tight end in the league and he would have made more money. So if I were Ryan Nall's agent, I would have demanded that he switch to tight end before the combine and work out as a tight end and make it as a tight end in the league, I think he would have had a more productive career. Playing him at running back at 6'2", 235 pounds, is not a recipe for efficient running of the football. And they have Artavis Pierce as well. They have two Oregon State running backs. Artavis Pierce, that's a new one. He runs a 4'5", he has 72nd percentile speed. Yeah, they they got two beavers in the backfield. Yeah, he's actually closely comparable to Jordan Wilkins. That's not bad. This is a guy that can produce given touches, right? He went for six yards a carry and 873 yards last year at Oregon. He had 23 receptions. This is just a guy. This is a guy that can be a guy that does some things if they're the guy. But he's not a guy that's going to win you any fantasy football leagues. No matter what they have Cohen, you know, eating in. To, to the workload a bit. I don't see him as a high-touch guy, even with Montgomery out. So I, I have been reluctant to move him up, and they're, they're also a team that's a prime candidate to, to add somebody uh, to make this even murkier. Oh. But to your point about Allen Robinson, he's fantastic. He's my he's my wide receiver seven. In, yes. In half people. So I love, I love Allen Robinson. I love Allen Robinson. Because in that zone, that weird zone at the end of the second round and then early into the third round, you have to make that decision. Are you going to go? Are you going to shoot for the moon with Jonathan Taylor, or are you going to you going to rivet down the wings of your team and grab a couple receivers? And when I'm going in that direction, I'm going Allen Robinson first, and then DJ Moore. That's that's the list. Those are my guys. I actually have them ranked ahead of Kenny Galladay. Do you agree with that? Uh, I have Robinson ahead of Galladay. I have Moore right around. Galladay. They, if they have DeAndre Swift and Hawkinson and Marvin Jones and Danny Amendola, I think the fantasy gamers are going to be disappointed with Kenny Galladay's target share this year. Well, I just, I just look at it like uh, maybe it's not reasonable, and you know sometimes I'm not reasonable, but Galladay in the third or Marvin Jones in the eighth. There it is. I, I want Mar- I want Marvin Jones in the eighth every time. But you don't have to just have one. But at the same time, I, I just don't see myself taking a lot of Galladay because Robinson's usually there. And then if and then if it's a choice, then if Robinson's gone, and then I've got DJ Moore, AJ Brown, mm. uh, and Galladay to choose from. I really I I love AJ Brown. So like my dream start is my my dream start is Robinson in the third, AJ Brown in the fourth. That's just that's just perfect. Well, AJ Brown is interesting. Because you look at him compared to Nikhil Harry, they were the top two talents in that 2019 draft class. And then A.J. Brown went to the Titans, and then there was rationalizations made to move him down. I disagreed with that, but you couldn't deny Nikhil Harry's profile at Arizona State. That these two guys were size, speed specimens that were dominant at an early age, 
but you never know, man. You never know. I've seen some things in this league. I've seen some busts that shocked me, right? And I think that Nikhil Harry could be one of those guys where he's just not wired in a way to succeed in the NFL, where A.J. Brown is on the complete other side of the spectrum, where all he wants to do is play football. He's obsessive compulsive about his strength and conditioning. And like with Austin Eckler, you can assume an efficiency regression. Of course, Austin Eckler was the most efficient running back in the league last year. There's going to be some regression, and he can still be fantastic. With A.J. Brown, can he be the most efficient yards per target wide receiver? Probably not, right? But he's a machine. He has crafted himself into a machine at an early age, and he can get more targets. His targets can go from 84 to 124, and it doesn't matter if he's not as efficient. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even 84. Like that was with Marcus Mariota playing a quarter of the season. I mean, Ryan Tannehill came in week seven. His targets per game were 6.1 from that point on. So you're looking at 97, you know, pace. Well, he wasn't a starter. He wasn't a starter through week eight. He was only getting a 63% snap share, 16 routes, 18 routes. They were like sprinkling him in. And then suddenly, boom, as of week 10, 100% snap share, you're getting all the routes. Yeah, and you're. it's not hard to get from 98, 97, 98 pace to 120, 125, especially when you're a, a rookie receiver who did what he did last year. He was playing at a 1,248-yard pace with Tannehill. So... What's what's wrong with that? <laughs> Love it. Because he has upside, right? That's the guy you want, in, especially in a tournament, where he looks the part of a true NFL alpha, where things break his way. Let's say there's injuries on the offensive line. Let's say that there's injuries on defense. And the team has to throw the ball more this year. He's going to be the guy. Like, in a major, 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 major way. Where if he gets the targets and he delivers all this yards after the catch... The yards after the catch per target won't be as high as last year when he led the league, but we can definitively say he's good at that thing. He's good with the ball in his hand, like DJ Moore. These are just players that are good with the ball in their hand, and that, to me, is exciting in a way that I just can't get quite as fired up about a guy like Galladay, who is more, who is more of a finished product in the NFL we know what he is, and we know that he's not the focal point of the offense like A.J. Brown is. And you have your own – even if they are not as efficient, you still have that growth from year one to year two for a player like A.J. Brown. There's There's been 34 uh, receivers who you know eclipsed that 50-catch, 700-yard mark as rookies, and that's mm-hmm. what's – I saw Sigmund Bloom call this. This is what you pretty much know you have a, a hit. So I pulled all their rookie, you know, sophomore data. And on average, these players in a targets per game at, uh, aspect go up 17% just just from growth, wow. personal growth. So you don't even need the team to, to get into bad situations for him to, you know, hit 110, 120 targets. I mean, I, I think it's going to happen. Just your median projection, that's reasonable. And that's why I have him in my top 10 and not at 15 or 16, wherever the consensus is on him. Oh, man. (laughs) You're doing things right, man. I'm interested in where you have Juju Smith-Schuster because I'm worried about Pittsburgh. Tell me why you're worried. They failed to invest in their offensive line at all. Year over year, both the run blocking and the pass protection have been in decline. And Ben Roethlisberger has been in steep decline the last couple years, and he's coming off Tommy John surgery. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a surgeon. You're not? And I know that there are cases where 
pitchers in their 20s have Tommy John surgery and they come back with stronger arms. That's certainly possible. But those athletes have a hell of a lot more elasticity left in their ligaments than a 38-year-old quarterback. He's been like a voodoo doll quarterback where they're just (laughs) ripping his arms off and putting them back on. They're smashing him on the ground. They're picking him back up. If Phillip Rivers' arm is toast at this point, look at Phillip Rivers compared to Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger has taken a hell of a lot more punishment in his career than Philip Rivers. So if I'm worried about Philip Rivers' arm, why am I not worried about Ben Roethlisberger's arm? That's the guy that actually had the surgery. Yeah, the, the report's out of camp. Uh, I don't know, we, do we need to get the lie detector going again? But he says he's throwing without pain for the first time. We've got great zip. So everything's been positive. Right. I pay attention more to the negative. Uh, you know, if you hear something, you know, somebody's got soreness, or especially in this situation with Roethlisberger coming off of surgery, but... Apparently he's had a you know a clean off season. I have him fairly low. I have him eighteen at quarterbacks. I had him lower you know earlier in the off season. But um, you're right about the offensive line. I didn't realize that they were so bad in, in run blocking last year. Thirtieth adjusted line yards at Football Outsiders. It's been bad, man. It, it, you you see what the team's philosophy is based on their off season transactions, the NFL draft, the free agent signings, and. They don't want to be the 2018 Steelers, which is propelling Juju Smith-Schuster's ADP. That 1,400-yard season still reverberates, and fantasy gamers remember, and they're chasing that, but that's not possible. It's not possible because Ben Roethlisberger's not that guy anymore. It's not possible because Antonio Brown's not here, and it's not possible because their offensive line is a shell of what it was two years ago, and the team realizes that the way they're going to win games is by slowing it down and winning at 13-10 with one of the best defenses in the league. So if you're worried about the volume in Los Angeles, and that's why you're not drafting Keenan Allen, then why are you drafting Juju Smith-Schuster? And two rounds earlier. Yeah, I'd rather have Keenan Allen, because I think these are similar players in similar circumstances. Yeah. In Juju Smith-Schuster and Keenan Allen, I prefer the Keenan Allen as the arbitrage move, and that's often where I'm drafting my wide receivers in that fertile zone, round four, five, six. Yeah, and in four, I'm not getting hardly any Juju because I've got um, Robert Woods ahead of him. He's always available in the fourth, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's all, he's always there. And now Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup is not right, man. I've been worried about this. I've been worried, man. He's never been a hundred percent from this knee surgery. Well, again, they're calling it a, a side leg injury. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I can't. John, I can't anymore. I can't. I can't do it, man. I can't. Just us us just reporting verbatim what these liars. They just can't do it, man. It's just so comical at this point. It's a side leg issue. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I still can't believe that the Patriots have been so forthcoming about Sony Michelle's maladies. Yeah, yeah. That he's going in for revision surgery and this and that. It's like, whoa, whoa, that's a big, that's a problem. Yeah, I don't think it's the knee with uh, cup, though. It's, uh, it looks like it's the ankle, and it's just soreness, not sprain. I don't know what it is, but he hasn't been the same, dude. You think it's related to the knee? I don't know what it is. All I know is guy was top 10 wide receiver in fantasy football, tears his ACL, and only produces last year with the top touchdown rate among wide receivers. I mean, he was the Aaron Jones of wide receivers in the touchdown department, but 
he wasn't efficient elsewhere like Aaron Jones was efficient in all phases. Meanwhile, the team sheds Brandon Cooks, and all Robert Woods has been doing is producing. Yeah. Right? If we like A.J. Brown and his role and what he delivers after the catch and now make it Robert Woods on a team that we know is going to have to throw the ball a lot more than Tennessee. I mean, I think I mentioned my dream start. It's running back, running back, Allen Robinson in the third, A.J. Brown in the fourth, and then either Robert Woods or Terry McLaurin, Terry, Terry McLaurin in the fifth. And you, you said Akers. I mean, if you wanted running back. Yeah. Oh, McLaurin. So you can go Akers there. You go McLaurin. You can go Chark. You prefer – Chark McLaurin's a tricky one. I like McLaurin. I think – I just – with the injuries there in that receiving game, I think Dwayne Haskins is, mm-hmm. is looking good. All positive reports out of the camp for him. They also have Alex Smith there. I haven't heard anything negative about Dwayne Haskins. Haskins, yeah, it's been good. So He looks phenomenal. Every time I like, you would see highlight videos when we're scouting prospects, right? And you see these highlight videos of a quarterback, for example. And you're watching the quarterback and you're like, wait a second. Who the hell is that wide receiver? The wide receiver keeps making these plays. Look at him. Who is that? And you're like, wait, you notice the receiver. Well, the hype machine around Antonio Gibson is so hot, right? So hot. Antonio Gibson, so hot. Like, I want Washington running backs, right? <laughs> like the Ryan Nall hype. Oh, that's what I want. Chicago running backs. So we get treated with all this Antonio Gibson hype. And of course, we all love Terry McLaurin. But what's the constant here? The constant here are these perfectly thrown passes from Dwayne Haskins. He's going real late. I'm saying it. He's going real late. Uh, defense is going to be better, probably. Um, but, you know, this yeah. is a team that's probably going to trail quite a bit. Maybe some passing. Yeah. And then the, uh, mm-hmm. Scott Turner is definitely going to be pushing the pace more and calling more pass plays. So that's one reason I like McLaurin a lot. But, I, yeah, you could translate this to Haskins. It's just a weird position quarterback. I mean, there's so much depth. It's just interesting. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing that he was viewed as a total bust. And then last year, he had some good games at the end. And he's had a great training camp. And he was great at Ohio State. And I'm thinking, wait a second. He's been mostly great. <laughs> wait, what? He's not that bad, right? Why do you not like him? He was kind of thrown in the, into the deep end last year. So you can kind of understand why he struggled at times. But Very difficult situation. It's not like he had... Kyle Allen's supporting cast, right? No, 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 no. But Steven Sims. Steven Sims, yes. Looked good when called upon. I think he must have the this number two wide receiver role locked up by now, right? He's got it. I mean, the the, the scuttlebutt was that he was going to be the slot guy, but now it looks like he's playing on two receiver sets with McLaren. And, he, Bingo. you know, fantastic at the end of last year. Five for 45 and a touchdown, 11 targets, six for 64, two touchdowns on 10 targets, and then five for 81 and a touchdown on eight targets to close the season. Uh, And a a beat writer called him quicker than quick, which I like to hear. That's better than slower than slow uh, coming out of the camp uh, reports quicker than they found their Crowder. Yeah, I think so. They found their Crowder. This is their Crowder. This is Crowder all over again. This is just Jamison Crowder copy and paste. That's all it is. He's a guy that I get upset if I don't if somebody takes him before I get him. I get upset because he's going so, so late. And if I can't figure it out, like if I can't put him on my roster somehow, then I get annoyed with myself if I don't get him. The best backdoor stack in all of best ball on underdog is 
Steven Sims, Dwayne Haskins, Logan Thomas to close it out. It's the ultimate. It's the ultimate double stack. Just close it out. And Steven Sims is highly available late. There's not a lot of late round hype around Steven Sims. So you can just keep pushing the button on him every single time. On the Sonic Truth podcast, my host Nate Liss is a Seahawks fan. And we speculated on what Seattle would look like if they ever decided to let Russell Wilson throw the ball 575 plus times in a season. What does that look like? (laughs) I mean, he is on a per attempt basis has always been one of the best uh, fantasy quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, He's so efficient. Uh, If they actually were to let him, you said 575. Let him cook. They say, what if Russ cooks? Let Russ cook. That's the meme. You have to say cooks, John. I don't know why, but they say cooks. You can't say throw the ball a lot. That's not that's too many words. You just have to say cooks. Well, that would be a career high for him. Uh, he's had 31-plus touchdowns in four of the last five seasons. So imagine if you add like 20% to his pass attempts or 15% to his pass attempts. I think you're – I want to imagine that. Yeah, you're looking at possibly a 40 40- touchdown season um i think if they actually let him throw the ball like they should qb1 is in his range of outcomes right right and guess what this year's chris godwin ain't calvin ridley they're two different tyler lockett's a lot more similar to chris godwin than calvin ridley if you're looking for this year's chris godwin it could be terry mclaurin maybe could be dj chark maybe 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 but last year Chris Godwin was productive on a high-volume offense with a prototypical alpha across the field from him in Mike Evans. And if DK Metcalf is that Mike Evans analog, then that means Tyler Lockett is the Chris Godwin analog. And they were going at the same spot in drafts last year. They were both going, remember? It's just like this year with Chark and McLaurin. Last year, it was Godwin and Lockett right there in the middle of the fifth round. And he's still going in the fifth round, Lockett. I think people are fearful of of Metcalf. Oh come on! But I think they're both I think they're both worthy of fifth round picks. And you always hear that, right? That the alpha on the outside skews the coverage away, so it's actually helpful to have better receivers. But then with Robert Woods and these other players, no, no, you're you're better off having the vacated targets. Like, make up your mind: you want the vacated targets, or do you want a true alpha occupying the opposing team's number one corner? And in most cases, I want the vacated targets. I think the exception is with DK Metcalf because there's not a big-time playmaker at tight end. There's not a big-time playmaker at satellite back in Seattle. There's not a number three option at wide receiver that commands targets. You have a deep threat in Philip Dorsett. So if you think about it, everything is opening up in an extreme way for Lockett where Dorsett stretches the field vertically. And then because Metcalf runs that one route that he runs, which is the sideline fade, he stretches the defense horizontally. No one will have more space to operate this year on the football field than Tyler Lockett. He's fantastic. Um, And you broke it down. The one concern I have, and I want to ask you this, is this is the team that I would pick if I had to pick Antonio Brown to a team where he could come into this week nine or whatever and mess up the whole... The whole shebang. He could tip over the whole apple cart. Yeah. Look at that. Look at me with a cliche. I could hit myself with a cliche sounder. I, I did, it was a good cliche, though. Cliche alert!
of like it. 5% chance that that happens? 10%? I don't know. Oh, f- higher than that. Yeah. He was working out with Russell Wilson. Yeah, pictures. And, and you know, and, and, and something happened, man. I don't know what happened, but he figured something out. He went to a doctor, a psychologist, something. Something has changed with Antonio Brown because he was on a trajectory to either be dead or in jail. And now he's back and he seems to be on the level all of a sudden. And that's great news. You love that. So often you hear these tragic stories, especially football players, and that he would course correct is super encouraging. The Texans are super high on Will Fuller internally. They think he's one of the best wide receivers in the league. There's going to be a lot of volume. And finally, Deshaun Watson will have pass protection. I get the Bulls case for Will Fuller. Are you in on that? I don't have a lot because where I have him projected, I'm getting other players in those rounds that I'm I'm equally bullish on. I just don't trust his health. I mean, I, I mean, I get it. I I have a few shares in like best balls and stuff, but if I'm, if I'm like in a big league where I, you know, big money league, this is my league. I'm not targeting Will Fuller unless he falls to me in the seventh round. You going Gallup or Fuller? Gallup. Yeah, you got to go Gallup, right? I can try. You can try. He's going to suit up. I mean, he's going to be out there. And, you know, maybe injury prone is a thing. Maybe it's not a thing. I don't know. But And I do think that Phil Fuller, I could be completely wrong about this, and Will Fuller could ball out and play 15 games and finish as a wide receiver one. And be as good as Gallup. Yeah. <laughs> right? So if he does deliver, he's as good as Gallup. Yeah, so it's, you know, there's, there's paths for him. Uh, definitely usage standpoint. A lot of opportunity. Brandon Cooks is there. Randall Cobb is there. They're going to get their five to seven, five to eight targets a game. So I don't, I don't think Fuller is going to be like a 10, 10 target a game guy. I think he's going to do what he normally does with John Andre Hopkins on the field. And if he can stay healthy, that's great because he's shown that he can be productive when he's, when he's active. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how the target share is going to be allocated between Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller and Randall Cobb. And for that reason, you take the least expensive option by far and away. Randall Cobb, he's still an explosive playmaker. You respect Randall Cobb. He was a mega producer in Green Bay. He's still only 30 years old. He's the oldest 30-year-old wide receiver of all time, and he's the guy I'm drafting. My three highest-owned wide receivers on underdog, because I'm getting them all late, it doesn't matter what your draft position is. You're going to get these guys no matter what because they're going so late. It's Randall Cobb, it's Traquan Smith, and it's Paris Campbell. We know one of these second-year receivers is going to break out all over the place You know, after doing nothing last year. It happens every year. I don't think it's going to be Nikhil Harry. I don't think it's going to be J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I don't think it's going to be Andy Isabella. I think it will be Paris Campbell. And he was doing very well last year in camp. They were, I believe Frank Reich was super high on him, and then just problems with injuries uh, last year. Weird injuries, a broken wrist and a strained elbow or whatever. And it wasn't like he played and was active and just couldn't figure it out. It was bruised sternum. Who knows? So I think this is a he's going to be in there with uh, Pittman and uh, T.Y. Hilton, and he's going to get a lot of run for that team. I wonder about targets uh, with him, but that late in the draft, why not? To me, it's an arbitrage DK Metcalf because DK Metcalf may not deliver the boom season that especially the zero RB drafters pushing him up in the late fourth round after a 900 yard season. Just a complete projection of growth cool cool right i love that i love i'm here to chase the athleticism i mean hello 
I founded playerprofiler.com. I'm not going to discourage anyone from chasing athleticism, but 10 rounds later, you get a guy with a similar athletic profile and similar college production. I'll take Paris Campbell at cost. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. So I'll take Tyler Lockett over Metcalf, and then I'll take Campbell at cost. And the camp reports on Traquan Smith have been glowing. They love this guy. There's going to be a third-year receiver breakout, too, and he's the guy I'm picking. Yeah, it's pretty insane um, how that all shake, shook out with uh, Emmanuel Sanders coming over. And I was on – I mean, I still am an Emmanuel Sanders fan. I think he's a nice fit for he's that a fun offense. Player. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to now with this Traquan Smith um, hype, so to speak, or whatever, positive reports, you know, Sanders is starting to fall in drafts. I think you could draft them both or, you know, get them both. At, I have been. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. And, uh, you know, Breeze seems to love Smith. He's, he said uh, some very nice things about him and his role in the offense. And then uh, prior to that, a few days prior to that, Sean Payton made a comment about it. Like he's growing and working hard and it looks like he's going to be a big part of the offense. So. I think that's a, you know, I picked up my first share yesterday um, in a draft. And I think, you know, final round, he's always there. So always there. That's a why, another why not. Here's a hack. We talk about, you know, find a second year receiver, find a third year receiver. I enjoy big, explosive wide receivers that just happen to play a lot in the slot. That's Paris Campbell this year. And that was Traquan Smith last year. He logged his 60% snap shares. He was out there a lot, just not targeted. And, the majority of his snaps came in the slot. They had Ted Ginn on the outside, and he will likely maintain that role. They like him in the slot because then, because he's such a suffocating blocker, that when they do call a run play, it's almost like they have a tight end out there in the field because he's so effective at blocking. And then he just cracks back. Well, block, uh, pass blocking, run blocking, those are the, I mean, run blocking especially, coaches love it. They love it. That's why they like him so much in New Orleans, because he's just, he's out there just pancaking defensive backs. It was like, oh! Shit, yeah, and that'll get you some snaps. So it sounds like he's, you know, he's that'll get you snaps. That's not necessarily fantasy points. No, but then you go back to his rookie year, and he had two wide receiver one weeks. So I'm like, oh, look at this. And the positive reports, and what is he third 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 year receiver? So it's all lining up, baby. There you go. There you go. It's all lining up. All lining up. And I'll get you out of here. Just give me that bold prediction, or you have it ready. Yeah, for you know, I'm not a big bold prediction guy, but Miles Boykin. I went over to PlayerProfiler.com and I typed in his name, and boy, Fun sight. boy, is he athletic! Um, and they had they had like high hopes for him last year. It just didn't come together. Some injuries, low playing time. Um, you know, Marquise Brown was the guy there in the, in the receiving game for the most part, but uh, they did hook up a few times. Him and Lamar Jackson. You can see you can see it. You can see signs of it. And it sounds like he's having a great camp. I know they want him to start and play 70, 80% of the snaps. And if that happens, he's going, he's always available. I mean, 20th round, he's out there. So he's always uh, out there. Miles Boykin, I don't, you know, bold prediction. I don't know. Top 40, top 30 uh, upside there. Uh, I think the volume might be a question, but he has the physical tools uh, to succeed. It might be a second year breakout. And John, don't forget week 16. The Ravens face the Giants. Oh, one of the worst secondaries in the league. So that means he could be highly volatile this year, finishes a wide receiver three, but in week 16, Miles Boinkin can win you a championship.
But in week 16, Miles Boinkin can win you a championship. Write it down. Write it down. Hour 40, man. Almost did it. I was trying. It was great. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. There was no Jeff Janice talk. No Jeff Janice. Sadly, sadly, we've replaced it with Robert Tanyan talk. I guess so. And that's fine. That's totally fine. I hope he's, hope he's doing well with his tire business. <laughs> You're not bitter. And whatever, man. I mean, God, I don't know what to do. I mean, I've, I've moved on to... I have a lot of Ola B.C. Johnson stashed. Well, he's still starting, so... Seventh round, right? And then he was competing with Preston Williams and Michael Gallup for targets at Colorado State. Late bloomer. Athletic. If I had to pick my Jeff Janis, would probably be Ola B.C. Johnson. That's my guy. He's now. got... Uh, I've pivoted. He's got Jefferson breathing down his neck, but he's still starting, so... He's holding him off, baby. Do you know anything about Reggie Reggie Bellington? 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 From Lamar. One thing I think is real this year is you got to watch out for Auden Tate in Cincinnati. Yeah. No, uh, Chris Allen uh, works with us at 4 for 4. Loves Tate. He, he loves Tate. And Higgins has been hurt. And you got AJ Green kind of iffy. Uh, John Ross has been hurt. So yeah, Auden Tate's supposed to. Ross had a personal leave. I thought, he, I, thought I saw that he got nicked up. And he got nicked up too, but he was out for weeks for personal reasons. So. The wide receiver room was cleared out, and then Auden Tate wins camp MVP. Yeah. Call it a narrative, but, I mean, those guys are hurt or missing practice, and Auden Tate was a contested catch hero last year. Highlight reel is insane. Also, um, building a rapport with a rookie quarterback, which is always helpful, right? I'm telling you, man. So there are some guys. There are some fun guys, some seventh rounders. I just want seventh rounders to hit. That's my thing. It's fun. Well, Bedgelton, just so you know about him, just for the future. What's, who's he? Uh, he? He came from the CFL. Oh, okay, cool. Other than Devin Funches, this is the other receiver that the, the Packers like went out and got. And he had a, a good year last year for, I don't know if he had two good seasons in a row. For the Alouettes? Uh I don't know which I don't team know, I was guessing. I was I saw some I saw some highlights, but I mean I don't know how to judge CFL footage. Like Yeah, Reggie Begleton. 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 I don't know what it, which what it is. From he's from Lamar, so he's twenty seven. His profile isn't like fantastic or anything, but uh, he 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 did well at the CFL last year, so he had eighty two catches at Lamar. Stranger things have happened. Say what you want about Aaron Rodgers, but he can make random dudes relevant, so That's true. Just like Favre did, you know? Yep. Yep. It's not like Donald Driver was like a high draft pick. I mean, it's a low bar if you're moving on from Jason Garrett. He's inheriting or taking over, he's taking over a lot of talent. I mean, look at that. Like, Aaron Rodgers has to look at that receiving core and be like, you know, what the fuck? Like, the receivers that Dak Prescott has to throw to. It's just insane. Aaron Rodgers was beating Dallas when he was outgunned. <laughs> yeah. Five years ago. On the Des Bryant non-catch. And the Jared, the Jared Cook catch at Dallas, that was a couple years ago, three years ago, whenever they had, had Cook, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what Aaron Rodgers does. He He's outgunned by the Cowboys, and he wins anyway. It's rough. It's rough out there for a running back. Take the L! Take the L! The games haven't happened yet! Why would I take the L? It's rough. It's rough out there for a running back. Only you get the question about Robert Tanyan. That's a John Paulson special, right? We are on a fast break. We're on a two-on-one. 
And I, and that's just right there by the rim for you. You can just take care of that. All right, sounds good. Okay. <laughs> I had a, a thought that the NFL should institute a lie detector. Just every every coach that's on an interview has to have a, like a lie detector that you can see in the corner of the screen. Just like the whole time, like I can't, you can't hear what I'm saying, John. You can't hear, you can't hear me talking. It's just one lie after another. There's a lot of uh, spiking of the football yesterday or the day before with uh, with the Fortnite stuff yesterday. The equipment staff is still cleaning up all the footballs. Like he's a vodka drinker. I love that. La Visca. It's rough. It's rough out there for a running back. I picked the wrong position in high school. Damn it, Dad. It's rough. It's rough out there for a running back. Yeah, yeah. I believe that for... Never. I was kind of befuddled. I just went Adams Jones. Fuck it. I was kind of befuddled. Just a little sprinkle of Kittle. That's all I need. He's also allowed to take HGH and no one cares. I was kind of befuddled. It's happening! It's on! Hawkinson breakout! He's moved ahead of Gusecki on John Paulson's rankings. That's all I need to know. They probably were doing the necklace together. Look at you. You're Tom Brady. Holy, you're Tom Brady. Holy shit, you're Tom Brady. You're John Paulson. Now it's me that needs to wake up earlier. Well, now he's carried off the field or is he helped off the field? And you're like, wait a second. Who the hell is that wide receiver? Holy shit, you're Tom Brady. We don't know if he was carted. I don't know if a cart was involved. It's actually a big deal. Ugh, God, I hate bold predictions. God, I hate them. This is just a guy. This is a guy that can be a guy that does some things if they're the guy. But he's not a guy that's going to win you any fantasy football leagues. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't go out on too many limbs. Just say I don't do bold predictions. Matt, you know me. I don't do bold predictions. I went over to playerprofiler.com and I typed in his name. and Pancaking defensive backs. So it was like, oh, shit, drink one. If my wife saw Bradley Cooper, fuck, man. It's over. Done. Yeah, this is not it. You're changing all the rules of the hall pass. I pay attention more to the negative. I certainly wouldn't run my team the way Ryan Pace runs the Bears. I'll tell you that right now. He's still only 30 years old. He's the oldest 30-year-old wide receiver of all time. I pay attention more to the negative. You have to say cooks, John. I don't know why, but they say cooks you can't say throw the ball a lot that's not that's too many words you have to say cooks oh god i hate bold predictions god i hate them If my wife saw Bradley Cooper, fuck, man. It's over. Done.